She wanted to feel numb. She wanted to take back power over her own body. She wanted to be in control, so she ate. Trigger warning, in today's episode we will be discussing some sensitive topics around eating disorders and bulimia in particular. They may also be graphic, so please listen at your own discretion and always seek support. The What's Eating You podcast is a series of mental health topics that are designed to make you think, learn, educate, and validate. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the What Is Eating You podcast. I am so excited for today's episode because I'm going on a bit of a brain journey. I've always been very interested in the brain and learning more about it, particularly when it comes to eating disorders. Eating disorders usually place such an emphasis on the internal locus of control on the individual, and this creates a lot of shame. And what I mean by that is the person with the eating disorder often internalizes what's going on, and there is a lot of inner criticism. Why can't I just get over this? What's wrong with me? How can I not stop? Why do I have no willpower? But what if it was your brain that actually contributed to your eating patterns. One time I actually read that people with bulimia respond to sweets differently, that when they eat sweets and chocolate and sugar, they actually have more of a dopaminogenic effect. Their dopamine actually goes higher than a person who does not have the eating disorder. Now today I'm going to talk about the science, so we're going to nerd out together on a few studies on bulimia and the brain. Now, according to a recent study by the Butterfly Foundation, around 28% of Australian women aged 15 to 19 exhibit disordered eating behaviors, which include symptoms of bulimia nervosa. And 3.6% of the Australian population is estimated to experience a disorder such as bulimia at some point in their lives. Now, for my American fam, 1.5% of American women and half of a percent of American men will experience bulimia nervosa in their lifetime. It's important to note that these statistics only represent a fraction of those struggling, as the shame and stigma surrounding eating disorders prevent people from seeking help, especially bulimia nervosa. And this is why I want to talk about it. I've mentioned a few times that I've often really talked about binge eating and emotional eating, but I never talk about bulimia when this is what I struggled with because there is so much shame and disgust around it. So what is it? Bulimia nervosa is a serious and complex eating disorder characterized by recurrent episodes of binge eating followed by behaviors aimed at compensating for the excess food consumption. Now, these behaviors that are aimed to compensate the binge include usually it's self-induced vomiting, but it could be excessive exercise, fasting, misuse of laxatives, diuretics, or other medication. So individuals with bulimia often experience a cycle of consuming large amounts of food in a short period of time, This is the definition of a binge. It feels out of control. It has shame. It has guilt. It's not a good place to be in. And then to try to compensate or relieve themselves of the anxiety, the pain, and the fear of gaining weight, 
they try to rid their body of the calories they have consumed. Now, this has severe physical, emotional, and social complications. And I want to go into the diagnostic criteria because what is very interesting is the criteria has actually changed since I struggled with this. And back in my day, the treatment wasn't really wide and varied. And I imagine people even older than me would have felt very alone and isolated. I remember I couldn't even tell the doctor what I was struggling with. I'm like, I feel anxious because no one really knew about eating disorders back then. And the criteria, as mentioned, was really far and wide. And I would say, oh, I don't meet the criteria, so I don't have it. How tricky is that? Eating disorders are so tricky. They will trick you into thinking you're not sick enough or you're not as sick as the person next to you. But this is what keeps the problem going. Eating disorders are very competitive. They're very comparative, but you are on your own journey. And it's so important that you don't minimize the seriousness of your eating disorder. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM-5, 5th edition, outlines the criteria for diagnosing bulimia nervosa. So in order to receive a formal diagnosis, you must meet the following criteria. One, recurrent binge eating episodes. So the person engages in eating a large amount of food in a short period of time, and this is accompanied by a sense of lack of control over the eating episode. It's almost like you go into this zone or this euphoric phase. And I remember once psychotherapist said to me, not even white nights could drag you away from a binge. And I was like, yes, girl, you get it. Two, recurrent compensatory behavior. The individual attempts to prevent weight gain following binge eating by engaging in inappropriate compensatory behaviors, such as self-induced vomiting, laxative, diuretics, fasting, excessive exercise. Now, I want to say this here, and this might come as a shock. Purging is not an effective weight loss strategy. It actually makes you gain weight. Bulimia actually makes you gain weight. So if you needed to hear this today, you can thank me later. So think about this the next time you're about to engage in this behavior. Three, frequency and duration. These binge eating episodes occur on average at least once a week for three months. Now, there are some specifiers to this and there are low frequency diagnoses and it doesn't mean just because you are low frequency that it is less problematic, but there is severe, mild and moderate levels. Four, self-evaluation. The person's self-esteem is heavily influenced by body, shape and weight with an undue emphasis on these factors in determining self-worth. So the person's life revolves around the way they feel about their body weight, shape, and size. Which brings me to five, body weight, shape, and size. The individual's body weight and shape are excessively influenced by self-evaluation, leading to a fear of weight gain and an intense desire to be thin. So what this means is people over-evaluate the importance of their body weight, shape, and size on their life. So while someone without an eating disorder might think about this every now and then, their pie chart of life has so many other aspects, their work, their relationships, their goals, holidays, all of that. Whereas someone with an eating disorder, their pie chart of life is 75% body weight, shape, and size concerns. Six, not anorexia nervosa. The symptoms do not exclusively align with anorexia nervosa, 
which involves severe restriction of food intake and significant weight loss. What this means is anorexia nervosa is when you are significantly underweight for your expected height, etc. It doesn't mean it's worse than any other eating disorders. The reason we have different disorder categories is to inform treatment. I get a lot of pushback on social media saying, oh, atypical anorexia is invalidating when in actual fact it's validating that the eating disorder is mental, not physical, but the different categories inform different types of treatment. Now, how is it different for people? I want to emphasize that not one eating disorder looks the same. They can have similar characteristics, but they are different and causes can be different and the way they play out can be different. So compulsive behaviors such as restricting, binging, and purging have always almost been a way to manage overwhelming anxiety caused by stress. This was really popular in the literature that binging and purging was something to deal with stress. And I never believed this because for me, I was like, no, it's just because I'm eating trigger foods or it's just because I don't want to gain weight. But binging and worrying you're going to gain weight is a stress. And binging in the first place is probably because your body is under stress. You are starving it. So it's not getting its needs met. So biologically, your body is under stress. I think the time of the day your binges occur is really important as well because if it's at the end of the day and it's at the end of the night, usually that's the only time you get to sit down, relax, and be with your thoughts. And for many people, this is intolerable. And the brain science backs this up. So let's get into it. New research on the bulimic's brain. Now, scientists are studying how the brain works in people with bulimia nervosa. They think that problems with how the brain regulates things such as self-control, enjoying food, and how someone sees their body might be linked to bulimia nervosa. So there was a particular study where researchers used a special kind of brain imaging called diffusion tensor imaging to look at the connections between different parts of the brain in 48 people with bulimia nervosa and 44 women without it. They used a method called graph theory to analyze these brain connections. And they found that people with bulimia nervosa had changes in their brain connections compared to healthy women. So basically what they found is people with bulimia nervosa had more activity in certain areas on the left side of their brain. Now, the left side of your brain is linked to feeling pleasure from rewards, understanding feelings, and thinking about yourself. People with bulimia nervosa had reduced activity in certain areas on the right side of their brain. And these are involved in controlling thoughts and feelings, sense and touch and understanding what we see. So basically what this study helped us understand is that people with bulimia nervosa may struggle with controlling their eating and their feelings about their bodies because the brain's left side and right side seem to work differently 
in those with bulimia nervosa. So meaning they have difficulty controlling their feelings and controlling their thoughts. And for this reason, they're more inclined to engage in binging and purging. Two separate studies on bulimia in the brain published in the Journal of Abnormal Psychology shed new light and it related to acute stress and hunger or satiety. So what happens in the bulimic brain when stressed? Although researchers have long known that stress can play a key role in bulimia, one of the new studies reveal how the bulimic brain may view food as an escape from that stress. So what they did was they got 10 women with bulimia and 10 women without eating disorders, and they showed a series of neutral images and food images while their brains were scanned in an MRI machine. Then the women were asked to complete a questionnaire about their stress levels and food cravings. Before the study, all participants were given a meal with the same amount of nutrients so they were not feeling hungry. As you know, that could skew the data. What they found was both groups of women reported the same feelings of stress and food cravings in the questionnaire. So the stress was maths problems. So they gave them maths problems that got harder and harder that were designed to increase stress. And they were asked to complete them in a short amount of time whilst being given constant feedback that they were wrong and their data could not be used in the study if they got the maths problem wrong. And then they measured the brain with an MRI. Now, whilst the self-report, as mentioned of the women, reported that they all felt stress and the same food cravings, the MRI images showed that the women with bulimia had decreased blood flow in a part of the brain called the precuneus while viewing food images after completing the stressful maths problems, whereas blood flow significantly increased in that part of the brain among women without bulimia. Now, this part of the brain, the precuneus, is associated with self-perception and memory. For there to be less activity in that region among women with bulimia while viewing food images suggests that there may be using food to avoid thoughts about themselves, especially after moments of stress. Very interesting. So in summary, they think that women with bulimia struggle to tolerate thoughts about their own image, body image, and they also struggle to deal with stress. So they're using binging and purging as an option to deal with this stress. Another study revealed that making healthy food choices can be difficult for people with bulimia because of the brain differences in response to food rewards. So this study involved 26 women with a history of bulimia and 22 women with no eating disorders who had their brains scanned in MRI machines while they were given sugar water either after fasting for 16 hours or after eating a breakfast of bagels and cream cheese. So basically either they had breakfast or they fasted. Either way, they were given sugar water after that time and the researchers analyzed the brain images to determine differences in how 
the women responded to the water's sweet taste either when they were hungry or when they were full. What was very interesting was the brains of the women with no history of bulimia showed significantly more activity in the left putamen and amygdala when they were given sugary water after fasting versus after they were fed. So basically the brain lit up and got excited when after fasting they were given sugar water, which you would expect, whereas after eating, if you're given sugar water, it's probably not as exciting for the brain. But with the women with a history of bulimia, there was no such difference and their left amygdalas had greater activity when fed compared with the other women, which may hold clues into the binge eating aspects. So basically what it means to say is whether you're fasting or whether you are full, your brain still may get excited by sugary things. Let's link it to grocery shopping, right? So if you go grocery shopping when you're hungry, you're more likely to find everything look rewarding. We've all done that. We've all gone to Woolies when we are starving and you buy the whole shop and you tend to buy more highly palatable food, maybe more treats, etc. Whereas if you go grocery shopping when you're full, usually you're not as interested and you'll stick to your grocery list. You don't get pulled away and motivated in a big way by a reward. But someone with bulimia, when their brains go to the metaphorical grocery store, when they're full, they're still drawn to the sweet taste, even though they are full. Now, there were some limitations of the study. It was a very short sample size, but it still really gives us some interesting research to go by because as mentioned, bulimia is very self-shaming. And if you were to be able to say, you know what, my brain responds differently, that could really give people the compassion to do the work on themselves. So in summary, because I know this is all pretty scientific, basically they have found different activity in people's brains with bulimia. These are connected to feeling good from rewards and understanding emotions. So the way different parts of the brain talk to each other might be why people with bulimia nervosa struggle with controlling their eating and how they feel about their bodies. So in summary, what can we do about this? Stop blaming yourself. Stop telling yourself you're a failure. Stop telling yourself that you have no willpower there is actually possibly a neurotransmitter imbalance. Not possibly, it's shown. Researchers have identified an imbalance of serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, which play crucial roles in mood regulation, reward pathways, and appetite control. And these imbalances may contribute to impulsive behaviors and emotion dysregulation, which is commonly observed in people with bulimia. This has been shown in brain scans such as fMRI and PET scans. They've revealed structural and functional differences in the brain of individuals with bulimia. Alterations in areas like the prefrontal cortex, amygdala and insula suggest disrupted cognitive control, heightened emotional responses and difficulty in perceiving internal bodily sensations. The third one, reward circuitry 
We know that the brain's reward system involves areas like the ventral striatum and nucleus accumbens has been implicated in bulimia. Dysregulation in this circuitry may contribute to the compulsive binging and purging behavior as individuals might find relief or pleasure through these actions. Now that you know this, it's so important that you think about it. So if you're listening to this, I encourage you to take a pen, take a piece of paper and actually start to address your binge eating and purging with curiosity. Ask yourself, what causes me to binge? When am I binging? When am I purging? If purging was not an option, how would I be feeling? Am I trying to avoid emotions when I'm binging? What are those emotions? What are those thoughts? Try to write this down before you binge or after. Have I ever tried to sit with an urge to purge? If I do not purge, what am I afraid will happen? If you need a log or a system to do this, download my free binge tracker because it allows you to record everything. So what can you do today to start to manage bulimia? I want you to embrace the word kind, K-I-N-D, and remember these four steps. One, K stands for kindness and curiosity to replace criticism. Let go of criticism for one week and see how it helps you. Rather than being critical of your behavior, I want you to be curious and kind. Two, investigate your emotions. What we measure, we can manage. Keep a log not only of your food, but your binging and purging emotions. This is to cultivate awareness. So many people will keep a food diary, my fitness pal, a food log, but they don't even log their emotions or their thoughts and thoughts control your behavior. People try to control the food to control their emotions, but it's the other way around. Three. Name your sensations and urges. When we name it, we can tame it. So after you start to investigate it, name it and say it out loud. I am feeling very angry and I am having negative thoughts about my relationship and my life and that's making me want to binge eat so I don't have to think about it. Call it out for what it is. Name it and shame it. Don't shame yourself. And the last thing in the KIND acronym is D. Deal with that directly rather than using binging and purging. So once you've named your urges, once you've investigated your emotions, once you've become curious about everything, deal with that directly. If you're like, I'm really annoyed at my relationship right now, or I'm not feeling heard, deal with that directly instead of creating a problem that you can actually manage, which is the binge eating and purging. I really hope this has been insightful. Of course, this is not a substitute for therapy, but if you enjoyed this episode, please screenshot and tag me on Instagram. I will read all your messages and your reviews and your ratings. So thank you so much for being here. I'm very grateful that you have invested the time to listen to this and to listen to me. And if you want to take it a step further, know that you can book a one-on-one where we can discuss your concerns. It's not therapy, but it is an opportunity to see what can help you. That's all for today, folks. Enjoy your day and thank you for being part of the What Is Eating You podcast.